Dear Father, as we consider just now what it means to talk with you face to face, as Moses did, uh, may our understanding of this bring us to see that uh, this is possible for us as well and help us to enter into this experience here and now. Amen. So we want to consider here the description here of Moses talking face to face with God and then the very clear words, no one can see my face and live. Um, we haven't read this story, but you know, in the context of what we talked about last time, remember Korah's rebellion and how the whole community surrounded Moses and uh, you know, a complete rebellion against his authority, against the authority of Aaron. And you consider what a rough time of it Moses had. Even here his brother and sister came to him. Okay, they used this as a pretext that Moses had married a Cushite woman and Miriam and Aaron criticized him for it. But as we read on, we see what their real problem was. It was uh, jealousy. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Aren't we just as important? And the Lord heard what they said. And here it's really interesting. This is our key text here about Moses' humility. A parenthetical statement. Moses was a humble man, more humble than anyone else on earth. Now, why do we have it here? I mean, it's right in the middle of this story. Um, why is this where the, the comment is added that Moses was the most humble guy on the planet? Okay, and I think perhaps the reason is here Moses is being accused by Aaron and Miriam. And Moses doesn't say anything. I mean, you'd think he would assert his authority given to him by God, but he keeps quiet about it. And notice God is the one that has to speak up um, to defend Moses. Um, could it be that um, this is a good description of humility? You know, I find it interesting in the life of Jesus. Uh, there's one uh, story where the, the people are criticizing him, and uh, they say, you know, well, won't the Messiah be born in Bethlehem? Uh, won't the Messiah come through the line of David? This isn't the Messiah. And Jesus is right there. I mean, you would think he would say, well, yes, I am. Let me show you my uh, birth certificate. Let me go through the family line. This is where I was born. And he doesn't say anything. Um, do we perhaps uh, get a glimpse here that uh, humility, which we've talked about before, um, it does seem to involve um, not so much trying to promote yourself. Okay? And, and Moses here, as we'll discuss, seemed much more concerned about God's reputation than his own reputation. Anyway, so God has to speak up. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, I want the three of you to come out to the tent of my presence. How would you feel if you were Aaron and Miriam at this point? You hear God say, hey, the three of you come out here. And they went. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, stood at the entrance of the tent and called out, Aaron, Miriam. The two of them stepped forward. Again, how would you feel at that moment? And the Lord said, now hear what I have to say. When there are prophets among you, I reveal myself to them in visions and speak to them in dreams. It is different when I speak with my servant Moses. I have put in, in charge of all my people Israel, so I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He has even seen my form. How dare you speak against my servant Moses? Okay, so this is God's own declaration. I speak to Moses face to face. Okay, and th this is repeated uh, so many times, three times to be precise, 
here in the books of Moses. Um, another is in Exodus 33, where we read that after Moses had gone in, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the door of the tent, and the Lord would speak to Moses from the cloud. As soon as the people saw the pillar of cloud at the door of the tent, they would bow down, and the Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as someone speaks with a friend. Okay, there it is. But now, notice here, we're in Exodus 33. And so many have pointed out, well, this is a clear contradiction in Scripture, because when you read on, right here in this same chapter, you remember we've talked about this, where Moses requested, this is just a few verses later, please let me see the dazzling light of your presence. And the Lord answered, I will make all my splendor pass before you, and in your presence I will pronounce my sacred name. I am the Lord, and I show compassion and pity on those I choose, but I will not let you see my face, because no one can see me and stay alive. And we just read a few verses earlier that God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. And now I won't let you see my face. But here's a place beside me where you can stand on a rock. When the dazzling light of my presence passes by, I will put you in an opening in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but not my face. Okay, it's, it seems to be going back and forth here. And uh, the book of Deuteronomy closes with this verse. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord dealt with face to face. Clearly, all of these books weren't written by Moses because uh, Moses um, had passed away at this point. So someone added on this verse here, that he spoke with God face to face. Okay, so is this a, a contradiction? How can we uh, work through this? Let's go back to our verse here in Numbers. And I think it's, what's significant here is just to consider the contrast okay, be between Aaron and Miriam. How does God speak to them or to prophets? Visions, dreams, riddles. Um, in the King James, it's a dark speech. And so I think what, what is really being described here, it's a contrast. Yes, I use parables, visions, dreams, riddles, dark speech. That's not how I talk with Moses. I talk with Moses face to face. Um, so I think we're, we're more discussing here a, a means of communication. And it's interesting here, I speak with Moses face to face. Okay, that would seem to be describing one form of communication. And another form is he has even seen my form. Well, he saw his backside, to be precise. Okay, so that would seem to be describing a face to face as meaning something. And then he has even seen my form, is referring to something else. Okay, so let's see if we can sort this out. Again, prophets. Wonderful to be a prophet, but visions, dreams, riddles, dark speech. Moses, face to face. And as I'll try to make the case here, I think what this really refers to is to talk with someone in an intimate sense, in person, plain speech. Okay, and as I'll, I'll try to go into the New Testament on this, that ultimately this is a, a clear knowledge of God's nature, his character, when we really see God face to face. Okay, there's a contrast here. Um, I love what the Message Bible does with this. Instead of saying face to face, Eugene Peterson would translate this as, I speak to him intimately, in person, in plain talk without riddles. Again, it is to say there's one form of communication with Moses. It's much better. It's clear. It's personal. It's intimate. It's, it's, it's relational. 
helpful sometimes to read the King James, which translates this, uh, this way. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. What does that mean, mouth to mouth? That's actually literally uh, what it means. And uh, in the, uh, the Greek Septuagint, you know, this was the, the Bible during Jesus' time, which was a translation of the Hebrew. Yeah, a lot of you are, know what this means, a stoma in medicine, right? That's really what it means, stoma to stoma. Okay, it's mouth to mouth. Okay, what does that suggest? Well, here are a number of uh, different commentaries on this that, uh, that I found helpful. Uh, many of these are um, uh, Hebrew scholars and uh, describing what this means, mouth to mouth, face to face. Okay, in Wesley's notes, mouth to mouth means uh, distinctly, not by an interpreter, nor by shadows or representations. Okay, as it is in visions and dreams, refers to more in a, a familiar sense. Another Bible commentary, with him I will speak mouth to mouth, which means immediately, not by an interpreter, nor by visionary symbols, not in dark speeches or parables. Again, it's to contrast between these two different ways. The, the Net Bible, which has such great uh, footnotes on this passage, would say the emphasis of the line is clear enough. It begins literally, mouth to mouth, I will speak with him. In human communication, this would mean equality of rank. But Moses is certainly not equal in rank with the Lord. And yet God is here stating that Moses has an immediacy and directness in communication with God. It goes beyond the idea of friendship, almost to that of a king's confidant. Okay, and I'm sorry I left off the, the reference for this, but these next few quotes were for some, some uh, rabbi uh, scholars who uh, interpreted this in this way. The term face-to-face -face is rather a general assessment of Moses' greater familiarity and intimacy with God. Moses had a greater grasp of the divine than any other human being. Metaphorically speaking, his relationship with God was similar to that of friends who become close, closely acquainted with one another. Okay, and another would say a figure of speech to describe intimate association and a friendship shared. Okay, and I think to, to drive this point home, what is interesting is when God came down on Mount Sinai, remember all the lights and the people were terrified, uh, when we get the second telling of this story in Deuteronomy, it's described this way, first in Deuteronomy 4. Tell them how the Lord spoke to you from the fire, how you heard him speaking but did not see him in any form at all. Okay, well, they saw lights, they saw something up there that terrified them. But first it says you did not see him in any form at all. Okay, and then we read on a few verses. There on the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the fire. Well, we just read you did not see his form at all. Okay, but then the description is, well, you, you spoke with the people face to face from the fire. But remember, the people were terrified. So Moses describes here, I stood between you and the Lord. Okay, he was an intercessor in this point, at this point because the people were afraid. I stood between you and the Lord at that time to tell you what he said because you were afraid of the fire and would not go up to the mountain. Okay, and Moses spoke face to face with God. Okay, what does all this mean? Well, let's come back here to the verse in, in Exodus 33 where Moses asked to see God's glory. Please let me see the dazzling light of your presence. 
And remember, the Lord said, I will make all my splendor pass before you, and in your presence I will pronounce my sacred name. Remember, name is synonymous with character in the Bible. It means much more than when we refer to someone's name. We're just referring to some letters. But the, the, the name in the Bible really refers to the whole person, uh, everything about their character. And then as we read on the description here, when God pronounces his name, get a description of his character. Okay, and so when he came down, pronounced his holy name, he passed in front of him and said, I, the Lord, am a God is full of compassion and pity, who's not easily angered, who shows great love and faithfulness. I keep my promise for thousands of generations and forgive evil and sin. So Moses asked to see the dazzling light of God's presence, and it's almost like God is saying, hey, you know what is really important? My real glory is actually my character. And we get a description of God's character. Well, I think that carries through. Um, and we see that most clearly in Jesus, obviously, but the promise is that we should experience what Moses experienced. There are several Psalms. I'll, I'll just quote one here, Psalms 11. The Lord is righteous. He loves a righteous way of life, decent or virtuous or honest or upright. This is variously translated here, but decent people will see his face. Okay, and again, the, the meaning of that would be... Um, much more important than the, the physical qualities, nose, mouth, and eyes. It would be uh, this intimacy, this friendship with God, this true knowledge of God's character. That's, that's what it is to see God's face. So what I want to talk about here is the essential qualities of Moses. We've talked about two so far in previous Bible studies. We won't go back on this, but one is Moses was the most humble person on the planet at that time. And we won't go through all of that again, but how important that is and just remind you of the wonderful quote here by C.S. Lewis. Why is humility so important? And he would say, It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So we've talked about that as such a wonderful uh, quality um, of Moses. We also talked um, entire Bible study about this uh, agape love, which loves others more than self, that that comes out again and again and again in the life of Moses. Just to remind you of one quote on this, where Moses would say to God, please forgive their sin, but if you won't, then remove my name from the book in which you've written the names of your people. I mean, that is other-centered love. More concerned about these rebellious people, uh, it would seem, than himself. Okay, so humility, other-centered love, and now what we're talking about today, which is this friendship, intimacy, and uh, really an honesty with God. And so um, I want to spend a little time on this, because I think we're um, sometimes imply, well, God is too holy to really communicate plainly. I mean, in the way we would talk you know, with our friends, we, we don't really communicate with God in that way, or we shouldn't. It's, it's a little irreverent. Okay, but if we consider Moses here, who was declared by God to be a friend, let's just read what Moses said to God. Okay, I, I've read these to you before, but I think in this context, it's, it's, they're kind of shocking. In Exodus 5, where Moses turned to the Lord and said, Lord, why do you mistreat your people? Why did you send me here? Ever since I went to the king to speak for you, he's treated them cruelly, and you have done nothing to help them. 
Okay, and there's no lightning bolt from heaven. There's nothing that happened after Moses said something to God. Um, again, is our picture of God such that we see God as being greatly offended by uh, words like this? I don't think he is. I mean, just imagine here, you get onto the wards. Uh, my experience in, in doing three months of child neurology was very depressing. It was, I don't know if it was just a fluke, but it was one near-drowning accident after another. And these children, um, horribly disabled from falling in a swimming pool, and it became uh, rather depressing. Uh, do you think God wants you to go home after experiencing something like that in the evening? And um, what does he want you to talk with him about? Uh, is it okay to say, you know, I'm really upset about this, and I don't understand how you could let this happen? Uh, can we talk with God that way? Well, in the life of Moses, we see, yeah, we're honest. It's okay to tell God what is on our heart. He knows that anyway, doesn't he? What about this one? Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated me so badly? Why are you displeased with me? Why have you given me the responsibility for all these people? I didn't create them or bring them to birth. Why should you ask me to act like a nurse and carry them in my arms like babies all the way to the land you promised to their ancestors? Where could I get enough meat for all these people? They keep whining and asking for meat. I can't be responsible for all these people by myself. It's too much for me. If you're going to treat me like this, have pity on me and kill me so that I won't have to endure your cruelty any longer. You know, most people read the book of Job and they read Job's words very much like this. And they say, well, the whole point of that story is God had to, had to punish Job for these kinds of things that Job said. Well, again, Job was declared to be a friend of God. Abraham, remember when God came to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham said, well, you can't do that. Okay, it would seem a, a distinguishing feature of God's friends are that they are very open with what is on their heart, and they feel comfortable sharing this kind of stuff with God. Now, it's kind of like imagine you're a psychiatrist and you have a patient that comes to you month after month uh, for maybe depression and you ask the patient every uh, visit, uh, how are you doing? How are things in your life? And the patient just says, well, fine. Um, everything's great. And that's all you get. I mean, the patient never opens up and just tells you, you know, this is what I'm really feeling. This is what I'm really thinking. There's not going to be any progress. Okay, and so we see Moses here just being totally transparent with God. And again, God doesn't seem to be offended. And we see this back and forth conversation between Moses and God, where God would even say, now, don't try to stop me. I'm angry with them, and I'm going to destroy them. And then I will make of you and your descendants into a great nation. Now, you would think if God said to you, don't try to stop me. That'd be enough, right? We wouldn't dare talk back to God. Well, Moses' response. Again, please forgive their sin. If you won't, remove my name from the books. He did talk back uh, to God, and uh, God, quotes, changed his mind, though God never changes. Okay, I have another interesting conversation where God would say, go to that land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not be with you because you are impossible to deal with and I might destroy you on the way. So go ahead, go to the land of milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. Okay, and thankfully Moses replied, well, if you do not go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you are pleased with your people and with me if you do not go with us? 
Your presence with us will distinguish us from any other people on earth. And so, um, you know, again, imagine Moses was too intimidated to say anything. Okay, but God knew Moses. He, he knew how he would respond, I think. And so, uh, again, I think this, the dialogue we see between God and Moses, that's the kind of conversation that we should be having with God also. Well, in an incredible uh, messianic prophecy here in Deuteronomy 18, where God would say, or actually Moses, that he will send you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among your own people, and you are to obey him. On the day that you were gathered at Mount Sinai, you begged not to hear the Lord speak again or to see his fiery presence anymore because you were afraid you would die. So the Lord said to me, they've made a wise request. I will send them a prophet like you. So the coming Messiah would be like Moses. Um, now, so that's why, what's our picture of Moses? Is Moses in some way a reflection of Christ in humility? Um, is Moses a reflection of Christ in his other-centered love? And so again, when we read the coming Messiah would be like Moses, you know, we should see it, I think, in that light. So Jesus comes onto the scene. And the words in John, no one has ever seen God. And I think what this means here is really no one has ever really seen or understood God. God's character certainly was not known um, at this time. No one has really seen God. Okay, why did Jesus come? But the unique one, who is himself God, is near to, to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. Now, did Jesus come to reveal that God is a physically bright, powerful being? He came to reveal God's character. Okay, and so when it says no one has ever seen God, the revelation of God that Jesus came to bring is, uh, I mean, not many people doubt that God is powerful. Okay, Jesus came to reveal what God is like in character. And so it's amazing how many of these books in the New Testament open up this way. John 1, Hebrews 1, uh, the sun radiates God's own glory. Again, not a physical brightness and expresses the very character of God. Okay, so what do we see in Jesus? Do we see humility? Yeah, we declare of himself, I am meek and humble of heart. Now again, if we really believe Jesus to be fully God, um, do we incorporate humility into our picture of God? Not, not very often. God is humble. I mean, God is powerful. Humble? Again, if, if we say Jesus is God, then God himself uh, possesses humility. Do we see other-centered love like we, see in, like we saw in Moses? Do we see that in Jesus? And of course, Jesus dying on a cross, forgiving the people who tortured him to death. I mean, that is other-centered love. Do we see friendship and intimacy like we've talked about in this face-to-face -face relationship? Uh, I don't think we really would believe this. I mean, we, yeah, we got the story of Moses talking with God as a friend. I'm not sure we would really believe it, though, unless Jesus had come and said, you know what? I don't call you servants any longer. Uh, I'd like to call you friends. Uh, and that's an invitation from um, God himself okay, to enter into something, not a, not a servant relationship. Yeah, we're God's servants. Um, we do his will. But friendship, again, it's going back to what Moses experienced. That's what I want to experience with all of you. And, uh, you know, the, the end of John, it's, it's such an incredible, uh, the, the last words of Jesus in the upper room, 
but in Jesus' prayer where he would say, may they be in us just as you are in me and I am in you. Again, this is a, a wonderful uh, an intimacy that's, that's really hard to describe, but that seems to be at the essence of Jesus' mission, to bring us back uh, into this kind of face-to-face -face relationship. So the New Testament, again, talks so much about this face-to-face. -face. I want to just bring up a few verses here in the writings of Paul. In 2 Corinthians 4, <clears throat> Satan, who is the God of this world, and I, and I wish we would highlight that more often, who's the God of this world? We look at what's going on. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. And what is that? The glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Again, nose, eyes, mouth. In what way is Jesus the exact likeness of God? For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God. Could we substitute character here? So that we could know the character of God and again, where do we see that? That is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's really where we see uh, the essence of who God is. Um, someone just uh, sent this quote to me yesterday. I thought it was uh, so wonderful uh, by an Elton Trueblood, which um, the quote goes like this. The historic Christian doctrine of the divinity of Christ does not simply mean that Jesus is like God. It is far more radical than that. It means that God is like Jesus. And so um, I think a parallel to this, remember in Numbers, it was, yeah, prophets, visions, riddles, dark speech, okay, but that's not the ultimate. And it almost seems like Jesus uh, plays off of this verse here in, in about his last words to the disciples. And just before this, in John 16, he'd said, you know, there's a lot more I'd like to tell you, but you can't bear it, okay? But then he went on to say, you know what, I've told you these things in parables, and that could be translated veiled language, allegories, dark sayings, okay, just like uh, in Numbers. But the hour is now coming when I shall no longer speak to you in figures of speech, in riddles, but I shall tell you about the Father in plain words and openly or without reserve. Okay, now let me read this here in, in the Phillips translation, which is really good. I've been speaking to you in parables, but the time is coming to give up parables and tell you plainly about the Father. When that time comes, you will make your request to him in my own name, for I need make no promise to plead to the Father for you. Goodspeed uh, translated this as intercede. And uh, this sounds very strange. Jesus makes no promise to intercede. Now, how in the world can that be? Jesus makes no promise to plead. Um, how can that be? Well, there, there, there is no space here in words, but I just kind of wanted to build up the suspense a little bit. What happens? How can we do without Jesus here as an intercessor? And he would explain why. For the Father himself loves you. Okay, so all of the riddles, the dark sayings, the parables, they're all wonderful. We need to put them all together. But if you want it in plain speech, if you want to really get down to the essence of it, uh, it's right here that the Father himself loves you. And so, again, the, the intercessor is absolutely necessary, but the intercessor is to bring us to God, again, not to shield us. And so perhaps when we really experience 
the, the message of Jesus, which is the Father himself loves you, I think it is when we see Jesus really is God. He's no, nothing less than fully God. Okay, and when we see that Jesus is God, then there really is no one in between. So back to this face-to-face. Moses wore a veil. And I'll just, I left off because this is a really long quote here, but Paul is talking about how when Moses went and talked to God, it seems kind of counterintuitive. You'd think when you talk to God, that's when you'd wear the veil. Talk to the people, that's when you take the veil off. Okay, but Moses, when he talked with God, didn't wear a veil. And when he came and talked to the people, remember the people felt very uncomfortable seeing this, uh, whatever this uh, radiated presence of God's glory in Moses' face made them distressed. Okay, and so when he saw the people, he put a veil over his face. So Moses wore a veil. But notice, only Christ can get rid of the veil. Because again, what is the veil? The veil is something uh, we're, we're not really seeing God clearly. We're not seeing who he is. Christ came to remove that veil so that we really see the essence of who God is. And whenever they turn to face God, as Moses did, God removes the veil. And there they are, face to face. Okay, we're right back to this face to face language in the Old Testament. That's, that's where we're supposed to be. But notice, Christ gets rid of the veil. When we see God as the same in character as Jesus, there we are, face to face. And they, or could we say we, suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Um, it's such a redundant biblical concept that we become like the God we love, worship, and admire. Um, and so uh, when our picture of God really becomes Jesus, um, it's unavoidable. This is what this is describing here. We are transformed into that image. Okay, when we see people worshiping a, a very different God, um, well, you're very capable of doing all kinds of crazy things, as uh, human history reveals. Okay, but this, this uh, transforming process, the, the essence of it is we've got to see God face to face. We've got to see him uh, as he really is. And the Bible ends. Revelation 22, they will see his face. And again, the, the physical part of this is, um, you know, wonderful. We're, we're physical beings. But um, I think that the essence of what is important here is in the end, there will be an absolute knowledge of God, his character, what he is like. We won't doubt God. We won't distrust God. We'll see him to be in all of these ways like Jesus. And again, what's the process? And his name or his character will be written on their foreheads. We will become like God as we see him as he really is. Um, you know, we often talk about Jesus as like a historical figure. Okay, but this would deny the, like the last verse here that uh, as we come to see God as he really is, he becomes a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone, and he, he really does become a part of our daily lives. So one more verse on this, and then another quote that is, I think, uh, uh, very good. To, to emphasize, we are changed as we see God for who he is. But friends, that's exactly who we are. This is in 1 John 3. Children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him 
And again, and in seeing him, we become like him. Okay, we become like the God we love, worship, and admire. That's, that's how it works. And so if I could just include a last uh, quote here. This is from a book uh, called Education and Describing What It Means to See God Face to Face in this interpretation. And this is describing Moses' 40 years um, taking care of sheep uh, before he even went out with the people in the desert. Amidst the solemn majesty of the mountain solitudes, Moses was alone with God. Everywhere the Creator's name, could we say character, was written. Moses seemed to stand in his presence and to be overshadowed by his power. Here his self-sufficiency was swept away. In the presence of the Infinite One, he realized how weak, how inefficient, how short-sighted is man. Here Moses gained that which went with him throughout the years of his toilsome uh, and care, burdened life, a sense of the personal presence of the Divine One. And I think we really don't practice this, a, a sense of God's personal presence in our ordinary, everyday lives. Okay, that's what Moses experienced. Not merely did he look down the ages for Christ to be manifest in the flesh, he saw Christ accompanying the host of Israel in all their travels. When misunderstood and misrepresented, like he was with Aaron, Miriam, and Korah's rebellion, when called to bear reproach and insult, to face danger and death, he was able to endure as seeing him who is invisible. Moses did not merely think of God, he saw him. God was the constant vision before him. Never did he lose sight of his face. To Moses, faith was no guesswork. It was a reality. He believed that God ruled his life in particular, and in all its details he acknowledged him. For strength to withstand every temptation, he trusted in him. The great work assigned him he desired to make in the highest degree successful, and he placed his whole dependence upon divine power. He felt his need of help, asked for it, by faith grasped it, and in the assurance of sustaining strength went forward. Such was the experience that Moses gained by his 40 years of training in the desert. To impart such an experience, infinite wisdom counted not the period too long or the price too great. The highest testimony to the greatness of Moses, the judgment passed upon his life by inspiration is... Quoting the last verse in Deuteronomy, there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And again, if we just make one important point, that that is to be our experience. If we read the Bible merely as history, Jesus was history, um, but if we really see that, man, this is entirely possible, this is the, should be the reality for us, then I think uh, these things take on a living uh, reality. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for each person here that we would begin to experience what Moses did. And it seems that um, we have um, even a greater revelation than Moses did, that we have um, seen that the God of the universe um, would condescend to spend nine months in a womb, would live such a humble life, would die. Uh, may that picture of who you are um, become a part of us. And may we see you in our studies and our work and everything. May we um, commune with you and experience this uh, very real presence with you. Amen.